Hi everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Inspiration Point. Before the episode begins, I just wanted to let you know that some of this episode was recorded on different equipment than we usually use, so you may notice some variances. That being said, it should still certainly be easy to listen to, and we really hope you enjoy it. And now, on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very dramatic episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. And we are joined tonight by a very, very special guest who is very dear to me named Nathan Stamper. Nathan, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, just thanks for, for having me. Um, absolutely. Uh, you guys, um, have a pretty cool show and I got to listen to some episodes and Andrew's like, Hey, you want to come on here? And I thought, yeah, sure. Great. And we talked about some ideas and reasons why I don't want to introduce the show necessarily for you guys. So I'll leave that up to you, but, oh, sure. Um, I've known Andrew, God, we call it from the, the old neighborhood, right? So we were all like five, six, seven, eight years old uh running around playing magic the gathering with third edition (laughs) and knocking on each other's doors saying can andrew come on play can nate come on play um wow yeah you guys go way back i I don't think i know anyone from the well okay maybe one person way so still that's pretty rare and i still remember andrew uh with his winter moon boots in the middle of the summer oh yeah that's my uh yeah, he rocked those things year round. It was fantastic. Wow. <laughs> they, they're so did, did comfy. he have long hair or short hair? That's uh, what I want. No, know. he had short hair. Yeah, he had short okay. hair. Um, <laughs> long hair was a college thing, for yeah, sure. I don't think we would have been friends if this kid with long <laughs> hair and moon boots showed up on my porch. <laughs> the short <laughs> hair was the, the deciding only. factor. <laughs> Yeah, so thanks um, for for having me on, guys. I don't know Adam at all. This is the first time I'm talking to him, so it's it's nice to meet you, Adam. Oh, nice to meet you too. Good to know that Andrew talks about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that you're I a do. teacher, and I know that you teach in some social studies area, right? Yes, um, that's right. Um, but that's about it. He likes yeah, you a I lot, met... and he loves your games. <laughs> that's right, uh, and he likes he likes yours as well. Uh, at least the, the one that I've heard tell about, okay. So the first time that I ever heard of or met quote unquote, Andrew, uh, was through an email he sent me and his email was the gist of it was basically, hi, my name is Andrew. Uh, my friend wrote, uh, ran this game of in nomine for me mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Would you please learn it and run it for me? <laughs> <laughs> you never met him before? Why? Why? What would he cause him to me. email you? <sighs> well, okay. So I was running the um, essentially D and D club at our college, and uh, Andrew is one year behind me. Okay, so you were both in the same college, yes. right? Okay. So it wasn't out of nowhere. He got my email. <laughs> Rando, but I but I hadn't <laughs> met him. Like he sent four hundred and fifty other emails to people, hoping someone would pick up on it. 
<laughs> and he just happened and, to be the one to bite. <laughs> so yeah, and then um, then Andrew baby. showed up to to club, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to learn in nominee. I've never heard of this. Uh, pretty sure you made it up." And uh, I had, and I have to say, I've never heard of it since. So I. I have a question for you, Nate. Yeah. Did you make this up? No, actually. Um, Enomine <laughs> was, it was originally, it was a French game. Um, and it's by uh, Steve Jackson Games picked it up. And so, you know, Steve mm-hmm. Jackson oh, okay. Games. Um, right. But oh, it's yeah. not in print anymore. Um, but you can find. I don't find, think it has been in a while. No, but you can, you can find uh, copies in circulation you know, at half price books and other things, but the original core book is fairly getting fairly difficult to find. Um, the whole conceit is that it's, it's angels versus demons, but it's a cold war. Right. And it's not like angels are just amazing and demons are just terrible. Right. They, they have personalities and drives and challenges just like we as humans do. And in fact, they themselves aren't even hundred percent positive that God exists because none of them have seen them except the Metatron who speaks for God, right? But they're only going off of Metatron's word. Um, And then they have their different classes of angels, classes of demons that give them different benefits, different disadvantages, and how they can and cannot act within this world that they call the symphony um, and how they can interact with humankind. Uh, But again, it's it's about as secular of a religious-based game as you can get because there's no one religion that governs it. Uh, because again, religions in this book were made by man, um, and and they're thought that that the the god that exists may have talked to different prophets at different times for different reasons. But the angels can never determine which religion is correct. Uh, some angels will say one, and some angels will say another. Um, so it's a really great game to pick up and not feel like, oh, this is a religious game. Then I got to play a religious game. No, no, no. It's not that. You're you're. You're cool. You can be as secular as you need to in this and still survive correctly in this game. Mm. Well, that's good to know. It sounds a little bit like the Diablo mythos a bit. Kind of. So, I mean, except you are on Earth most of the time, right? And so angels will have vessels that they can take to Earth. Some angels can actually inhabit humans uh, if that human allows them. Demons can do it without the human allowing them. Um, (laughs) But uh, they have vessels that they can use while they're on Earth. Most of it takes place here, except they can't really interact with Earth without causing a disturbance in the symphony. Mm. So the whole idea is that Earth was created or came into existence, if you will, and it's almost like this multi-level symphony composition. And when humans do stuff, it's all part of that composition. But when ethereals or celestials... um, which are not part of the the corporeal world interact with it they kind of create little off notes in that symphony dissonance, depending on right. the strength yeah dissonance uh well no dissonance is when an angel will go off of their um oh sort of their, that's right their track who they are or what what makes them right um but when they create these little off notes uh the disturbance is what it is that's um, what it was depending on how severe of an action it is, it will create a larger or smaller disturbance. Now, humans can't hear that because they're not really in tune with the symphony, but but um, ethereals and celestials and whatnot can. So if I'm an angel and I, for whatever reason, 
pick off a human being, which angels can do, um, that will create a very large off note in the symphony that other celestials may hear in a distance. Um, it's a really interesting concept uh, and lends itself well to heavy role-playing. Um, the mechanics can sometimes get clunky, but that's where you just rely on a good role player to say, yeah, we're just, you know, we're going to use this as the base, right? And then we're going to adjust based upon given circumstances. But I think that symphony mechanic must exist in, in uh, cyberpunk as well, because if I do anything wrong, all the police <laughs> that exist immediately show up and start firing. There he is! Let's get him! Like, what is this response time? Like, this is a... Yeah, but also a little bit overdone, perhaps. Um, no, it sounds really, really cool. So anyway, I, I never did end up learning in nominee because, again, I didn't believe that it was a thing. And um, our and, well, entire friendship founded on D and it, it is, and um, <laughs> so anyway, then my my roommate goes uh, a wall and decides to make some interesting decisions in his life, Ooh. and uh, I need someone else to pay rent. So I show up on Saturday um, to to the club, and I say, "Who would like to be my roommate?" And <laughs> Andrew just throws his hand in the air, and that was it. Uh, you so know, then we went from there. It was, it was the beginning <laughs> well, of a of a beautiful story. Well, yeah, so it really that, was that story. I mean, from an outside perspective, would sound so contrived if I didn't know Andrew <laughs> as well as I do. <laughs> and, I, and like, never met someone before. Hey, I need a roommate, and but yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're you. I trust you. <laughs> it's just and it's just no problem. No, and that's I mean, and that really that's what makes him such a wonderful human being is that. Just that unabashed trust before you, you know, and if you you break it, you break it, but he'll trust you from the, from the get go. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. I I agree with that. If any of you have watched Bojack Horseman, uh, (laughs) Andrew is Mr. Peanut Butter. (laughs) I, now, now I need to go watch the show. (laughs) Oh my gosh. If you have not seen Bojack, actually, Andrew, you're going to hate it. I know. I'll tell you right now. I, 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 <laughs> it's not for you. I've seen uh, little bits and pieces of it and read a few reviews. I'm like, this doesn't sound like my flavor, but. Uh, no, it's an amazing show, but it is not for all tastes. <laughs> sure. I can appreciate um, that. It, it, it's, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad in a lot of ways. And um, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, regardless, I agree with the sentiment that that Andrew is uh, a very, let's say, unassuming, earnest person. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Don't don't tell him that. You know, I think highly of him, though. I'd hate for him to know. I, you know, I'll. Uh, I'm sure I'll forget within the next five minutes. <laughs> yeah, he'll uh, see something shiny and it's and it's gone. It. It. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> hey, I, my wife does the same thing. I got, what are you saying? I got these really cool RPG coins from a convention that I'm playing with that are pretty that are pretty dope. Anyway, um conventions, what are those? You know? Yeah, they're uh Oh wait, I have a distant memory. <laughs> serious. Perhaps one one day. 
Uh, so yeah. uh, your background, Nathan, as I understand, is in theater. And, and is that sort of the inspiration point that we're... How are we wording this inspiration point, Andrew? <laughs> so so I, I ran this by Nathan earlier this week. Um, I, I'm going to be titling this episode Drama Class. Because what we're going to be looking at tonight, Nathan's going to kind of take us on a little journey, if you will, um, in regards to how uh, acting, directing, and theater principles and exercises can, uh, can apply to how we run and how we play are tabletop role-playing games because um, as uh, as you guys were just talking about, um, my first experience with tabletop role-playing games was with Inomine and Nathan ran it for me uh, as well as a few of our other friends. It was not a, uh, a two-person game by any stretch, but uh, I... I recall very well this um, this instance where be at the outset of a mission, uh, as an angel, you're basically being, or at least we were being sent on the mission by a superior. And the superiors are basically the archangels. Um, and I was playing a cherub who... In, no, uh, hang on. I gotta, go I gotta, ahead. I gotta, I gotta preface uh, cherub before because you, you, he says cherub, and I'm sure you're thinking like this little baby with the diaper. Yeah, ladies, right? right. I'm gonna be disappointed if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so the the lore is is that um, uh, cherubs were like the the warriors of of uh, of the angels, right? But uh, the the demons kind of spread some rumors among humanity in artwork and whatnot and made them look like these little babies with diapers, which really pissed the cherubs off because they really in their celestial form are like these monstrous creatures with wings and whatnot. And they're really angry about that. Yeah. In, I, I did some, let's say Bible study when I was young and, and, and it makes multiple references to cherub and, and seraphim, mm-hmm. uh, both the plurals of, of both nouns. And uh, they, yeah, you don't get the sense that they're flying babies. No, they're uh, not to be messed with. I don't with. hate that idea. <laughs> but, but if you'd like <laughs> to picture Andrew as a little baby with the diaper and wings in this episode, that's fine. <laughs> well, what was funny also about that is that when um, Andrew joined our, our D&D game, he was like, I want to play Nominate. And I said, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he's like, okay, can I essentially be my nominate character anyway. So I, I literally, <laughs> my first D&D character for Adam's it's a half game celestial. is a half-celestial named Ezekiel just like my nominate character. Wings and sure. all. The whole shebang. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> yep. So, so in, in, this, uh, in this game, uh, I'm playing this guardian angel who's about to be sent on a job. And beforehand, you have a meeting with your superior, which in my case was Michael, the archangel of war. So the way Nathan's running this 
is that, and he did this for our other two friends too. Uh, we're playing at my buddy's house in their finished basement. And Nathan basically occupies the sectioned off laundry room as like air quotes, the office. And one by one, he brings us into the back room and like closes the door. And we have like a one-on-one sit down. And I still remember just the sense of gravity to the situation and just how the character and kind of the magnitude of Michael as a character was really presented in this feeling of kind of intimidation and like I was really taking this situation and scenario very seriously. Um, And that always stuck with me to the point where now I make RPG stuff for a living. Um, And that was kind of one of my formative moments that's never left me. And I really, really remember how you just had this great sense of story and character all the time when you ran your games. There was this nice consistency you always seemed to more or less effortlessly have a path not to say that our decisions didn't alter that path because anyone that plays a ttrpg knows that you know they say if you want to make god laugh tell him your plans and that's that goes doubly for gms you know that players will mess up your plans every freaking time. Um, but you, Agreed. you are always so adaptable and just brought this great sense of performance. And it was never over the top or silly, but it just felt honest and true to the characters to the point where I could always buy whatever it is you were doing you were doing um you it was never difficult for me to suspend my disbelief and in some of these games it really can be um and i think that your your love for theater and acting and directing and um i mean at at that time i think that might have been before you started going to school for that, or maybe it was right as no. you were. Um, it, no, that was definitely, it was as uh, I was in the middle of mm, my first degree. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, even at that point, before you had finished that schooling, you were already in that place. Um, so I thought that, uh, that it would be really great if you could share how you kind of, uh, how those principles and those um, different aspects to theater and all that um, factor into how you approach tabletop role-playing games and how we uh, different things that we could do to kind of um, pull from that as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, um, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means, uh, an expert, uh, 
in theater or role playing games, right? I mean, I my background is is my I got my bachelor's in theater arts. Um, I have my master's in teaching. Uh, I'm a K through twelve teacher in the state of Wisconsin, a certified teacher in the state of Wisconsin for theater. Um, but I've spent twenty years uh, in amateur, professional, and educational theater. Um, but as any performing arts professional will tell you, it doesn't matter how much how long. Uh, you're in the field. You're never mm. an expert, right? Because you're always learning. Um, mm. And just in the minute that you think you got it, uh, there's something will come along. A show will come along, or a director will come along, or another actor will come along and and completely cut your legs out from underneath you. Man, uh, that's, that's <laughs> and, and that's good. Talk about humbling. Yeah, um, and it's good. It's important, right? Because it's, it's it's always about continual growth. Um. So, well, well, particularly in the secondary school setting, you, you don't get to keep your actors, right? You don't get to keep your your techies and all of those uh, other oh, people you man, have to constantly yeah. train up. No, and sometimes you don't even get to cast them, right? Like, like oh, sometimes you geez. just get the kids that show up to the class and you got to figure out how to adapt and make it work. Oh, my yeah, goodness. So like the, like, I, I, did, I did theater in high school. Uh, my, my father is a theater teacher. Uh, so you, you have the same job as him, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember feeling like the most important attribute that any of the students had was, well, do you show up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's like huge. It's like, okay, we can work with that. <laughs> if, if you're yeah, that's here, sometimes the first challenge, do you attend? <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to teaching the last five years, though, I spent as a, a technical director um, for a, um, an, an equity dinner theater here in the state of Wisconsin. And we had a okay. partnership with uh, with the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Uh, so I got to work with college uh, level theater students as well. And we built all of their sets and props in our theater space and then transported and installed them. Uh, long story short, though, COVID hit, uh, grant money dried up, oh. and obviously that kind of like like all of the performing arts went by the wayside for a while. Oh yeah, I right? I gotta say oh, when yeah. when you told me that, I was so I was so bummed to hear that. Well, it's well, hard yeah. to to get people to understand the the sheer magnitude of an entire industry disappearing. Oh, it's right. like, like, I've it's got, like, I've got some like friends who are also just disappeared. It. Yeah. You know? And, and so it's, it's tough, but, but that's not, you know, that's not necessarily, uh, why I'm here, obviously, you know, support the arts. Um, but, uh, um, oh, yeah. but it's a, it's a tough time, I think for, for everybody right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that in theater, there are a lot of different skill sets letters everything in technical theater there's everything in acting there's everything in directing and managing Mm. there are so many hats to wear yeah so my question you know to kind of help us get started here is what which hat is your favorite (laughs) like what Uh, what, well uh right now the habit that makes me money um (laughs) (laughs) that's a good that's a good rationale no so i I don't know if I could ever see myself just working for one theater in one job for the rest of my life. Hmm. Um, and, and I think it's because it's, it's not the theater necessarily that I love, though I am passionate for the craft. Um, it's, it's the connection to people, um, hmm. but, but in, in an educational setting, moreover, the connection to students. And I, what I love about 
um, what my job was the past five years or being a K through 12 educator before that was that it was never really about theater for, for me, mm. right? Like, like it's a great thing and it's a wonderful way for self-expression, but that's really what it is. It's, it, it was, it was the vehicle for which to help students transcend from one point in their life to another become more confident in who they are, develop a voice and be able to share that with others. Hmm. Um, and so, so having that, um, that experience and that ability is, is in a weird way, what impacts how I run a game or how I approach a game. Um, because I can lay down a story or I can have plot points, but it's not about me. Right? It can never be about me because the minute it is, then it ceases to be a communal game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's more important for me, for the characters at the game, to have character advancement and development and and progress um, in, in, in their in-game lives um, so that they feel fulfilled. Right? Mm. So I'm, I'm noticing... A couple of things uh-huh. in in your professional life, it's about the students, and at the table, it's about the players, mm. and it's more about the human connection than it is about the actual hobby or craft. Mm. Absolutely, and you might say that there's a word I'm searching for here. <laughs> It's like an ingredient that goes with a lot of things. Um, mm. What is it? It's on the tip of my tongue, Andrew. Like a, like a um, cooking ingredient? What is it? Kind of. I think it's. it starts with an L. I think it's... Um, um, oh, love. I'm pretty that's sure. That's the one. That's, that's the one. And we're on so, brand. Boom. <laughs> right. Good night, everybody. We got it. Hey. We did it. That's right. Compassion and support and love and all that, right? That's right. Um, but in all seriousness, you know, what, what do you think about that? You know, is that, is that the, the motivator? Is that the thing? Cause I, I mean, I, I know that we all, you and I are both teachers. We both go into it for the money, but I mean, is there more <laughs> to it? <laughs> you don't have to laugh that hard, Andrew. <laughs> oh, it is that funny. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I think of course, I mean, there, there has to be, I think a passion, for the game or a passion for the, the, the content that you're teaching. Um, because it, it's, I think it stems from that, right? It stems from your love for the game or your love for the content that you feel impassioned to share with other people. Um, and you do it in such a context, not to gratify yourself, but to better other people. Mm. If that makes, I sense. think that's so poignant. Actually, yeah. I think I, I could not agree more because I, I've had a few GMs, uh, and I can definitely put them in column A, column B. Mm. You know, in terms of I enjoyed this, I didn't enjoy this, and almost always the difference is that focus. You know, am I am I trying to make the adventure, the the, the journey that the player is going to go on? meaningful do i care about how they feel about it versus i'm here to show how intelligent i am right mm. right and it is a night and day difference 
or I'm here to to gratify myself, as you put it. Right. I, I think that that is such a huge difference. And you can see that quality. Like you can forgive a lot for a GM who is, you can tell is earnestly trying their best and just is like inexperienced. That's very true. But it's hard to deal with someone who's played a lot and doesn't get what it's about. Mm. No, I mean, I think, I mean, you can play Diablo, you can play World of Warcraft, you can jump online and kill stuff and get treasure and get loot and stuff. And that's fine. You can do that. You can do that by yourself. You can do it as a group. But there's something specific about the first word in role-playing games, right? Yeah. The role-playing part is the distinct difference between these type of games and any other type of board game or computer game out there. And that, that is something that has, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if I realize how much that stuck with me from, from that first game you ran for me, but that is a, um, a feeling that I kind of carried with me throughout um, when uh, Adam and I were in school for game art and design, that that sort of idea was something that was always sticking in the back of my head. That is, that's the thing that really makes a role-playing game, especially a tabletop role-playing game, so special is that, you know, compared to what so many video games bring to the table, that particular thing is something that a, a role-playing game, namely a tabletop role-playing game excels at far beyond any other kind of game. Right. Right. Well, it's about, I mean, and it's a, it, you're not always human, right, in these games. Right. Uh, but it is at its core about the human experience, right? All of these yeah. all of these races um, are, are humanistic in style in some way because we're designed to connect with them in some way. Um, and and in, in sense, that's really all theater is, is it's a vehicle in which to share the human experience. Um, mm. I think, I happen to think, and I'm a little biased, that it's the the... the the best of all art forms and generally because it combines almost all of the art forms in some way or another. Um, but then you use that and work all together again, just to, just to tell a story, a story mm. that you hope other people will connect with that other people will grow from, learn from laugh from whatever the case is, maybe pay you money. <laughs> and, uh, but really just to share, uh, to share the human experience that's that's all it is and i think i think at its core that's why we do these these tabletop games uh these role-playing games is is not to not to not to win because you know that's that's easy if you really just want to play to to win the gm could make it easy the players win woo but but to have to have a human experience mm. So with that as the preface, mm. this idea that that drama is this high version of expressing the human the human experience. That let's say that that's the standard. Uh, what is your favorite play? 
<laughs> um, unequivocally, un, unabashedly Hamlet. Um, Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. It has been since the first time that I was forced to read it. <laughs> and, uh, As we are often forced to read it before learning to appreciate Shakespeare. Yep. Now, I had a wonderful Shakespeare teacher in, in high school. Um, yeah. And that helped tremendously. Uh, but I didn't get into theater until my junior and senior year because I needed to take an easy art credit. Hmm. Uh, I was a math geek before that, and I took I took acting class because I didn't want to draw, and I didn't want to sing, and I didn't want to paint, or so I, Shoot, thought, oh, I can just you, do this. You this tutored is... me in math. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, you were <laughs> terrible. I, I, <laughs> yes, yes, I was. I think um, Andrew and I spent an episode talking about how we were both terrible at math growing <laughs> up. Yeah, and, and somehow then I get involved in theater, and and it it was. I always felt a little weird in school. I felt a little different or I didn't fit in a lot of places. And theater does does have the ability to grab on to the misfits sure. um, and make a home for them. Um, and so then when I got to college, um, uh, a wonderful friend of mine, uh, Jim Berzelic, he, yeah, we'll see if, you, if I can get him to listen. Um, he, is, uh, he is sort of, uh, he is to me, I guess, what I am to Andrew as far as role-playing goes. And he's the one who introduced me to a nomine, but he also introduced me to D&D in such a way that it wasn't just hack and slash. And he had a theory. Oh. He had a theory that, that theater majors would make the best role-players. Um, and at the time, because you know I'm biased, I agreed with him, uh, over time I realized that I think that's a little simplistic. Um, mm. I think theater majors or theater professionals have the have the capacity to make really great role players um mm. but i also think that if you get a table full of theater oh, artists to play a role-playing game it can be oh, as yeah. stressful as a table full of hack and slashers playing a role-playing game that you're yep. trying to tell a story <laughs> at. you need right? that variety you need a mix you need like just like you need the technicians and you need the actors you need the directors you need a mix because you need someone that's there that wants to drive the story. But then you also need people there that are going to go off on this stupid side thing and <laughs> tell this ridiculous story, but that's still connected. But everybody remembers, mm. right? They need the one guy that actually knows how to kill the monsters. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's, that's right. But it, tells uh, the role players, maybe don't run in. While there's uh, rooftop archers, maybe. right? Don't, right. Don't don't um, do that. And it depends on the game you're playing, right? So so we were all theater background, and we were there, and and we played a game that was completely uh, homebrewed uh, called Looking Glass, and he stole a little bit from Alice in Wonderland. But the idea was is that we were all ourselves, and we went through this portal to this other world where there were alternate alter, alternative versions of ourselves that we played. Um, that had developed powers, that had developed uh, status. Um, and we played this game for about three to four to five years. But the only mechanic was a single D20. And that was only there really in the direst of circumstances to, to, to solve random um, concerns. Um, and the GM had a target number based upon how we kind of knew you because we all knew each other very well. Um, and if you rolled a 13, you automatically failed. But then he had the target number that you had to roll above. Um, 
Now that works well when you have a whole group of people that know each other really well and trust each other really well and are mm. really there for the for the primarily the first part of the name of, uh, of, of it, the role playing part of the game, um, and and trust the GM enough to know that if I roll this d twenty, uh, he or she is not going to screw me. They're here to help mm. us tell the story as well. Um, that's a tough order to fill. So that's not something I'd necessarily recommend anybody going into. But it well, was there are the a lot dynamic. of GMs that uh, there are a lot of GMs that you know kind of fall into the the bad GM camp where you know where they. I think a lot of that stems from that need to control. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it, but it created some of the most dynamic, interesting, uh, I guess, role playing. Uh, that I've ever been a part of, mm. right? But again, it's a lot of trust, and that's hard. That's I I've ran games where a few people were used to playing tra- traditional, and I mean traditional, yeah, D and D, in getting them to step out of that comfort zone um, and feel confident to to interact in character is is tough, and and you have to respect that though because it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Mm. So at the start of our sharing all of this, Andrew was saying that when he got into that meeting with Michael the Archangel, yeah. he felt this sense of gravitas. And it, but <laughs> now I'm going to break that gravitas by <laughs> mentioning that the way he was setting it up, it made me sound like a like a beat cop in like a noir film. <laughs> and when you said Michael, the archangel, I immediately went to John Travolta. In my- <laughs> oh, okay. oh, That's geez. an underrated movie. <laughs> um, um, but having said that, yeah. having said that, what I want to know is how did your dramatic training mm-hmm. inform your ability to create that moment that resonated with him for so long? How do we create gravitas to understand this character is important right now yeah okay well um there's a lot of um i guess i don't want to say techniques necessarily but ideas to keep in mind um i think when you're when you're developing these situations um something we keep in mind when we're we're writing plays or even uh, dissecting and digesting them is there's always this a golden moment right there's there's a reason why you are um you're watching or reading what you're reading, right? Hmm. It's not just there for fluff. It's not going to be insignificant. Something is important about it. And I think that's important to keep in mind when you're running games. Um, now, things you can you can throw in red herrings. You can throw in, even if something is in there really just for fun and, and humor and to connect the characters and it doesn't directly relate to the plot, that's fine because that's the reason for it being in there. Right. Joy mm. itself is a reason, but it has to be golden. There has to be something impactful or important about it. Right. I, and I and I imagine the sim- in simplest uh, simplest of turns. You don't always run every situation where they go into a shop and buy stuff. Right. Mm. Sure. Because it's not always important. But when you do either the, either the, the, the group needs some sort of levity. So you can cock to this interesting, goofy, fun character that they can right. interact with, or um, you know, or this this particular shop or shopkeeper may come into play 
a ways down, or you have this really great character that you want to include and you don't know how yet. So I'm going to make them into this shop and we'll see how they develop later on. Mm. But everything they do has to be part of a larger story or a larger plot. Otherwise, why are they there? They are, they are the protagonists, right? Um, so when Andrew comes in and he comes in to talk to Michael, it's an important moment. And for me to understand, okay, well, who Michael is, I can't, and this is important for, I think, characters, uh, for, for player characters, as well as, as GMs. Um, <clears throat> and what I always tell actors when I direct them too is, is don't, don't play emotions. Right? Mm-hmm. There's that, there's that default to say, well, I'm angry. I'm going to play angry or I'm going to be upset or I'm going to, I'm going to be happy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Emotions are so variant, uh, for different people and different reasons. So what's more important is not, not that you're angry, but why are you angry? And more importantly, what do you want? Right. And that's a key component component. Um, I would always tell actors before they go on stage that you can know your character back and forth. You can know their givens, their history, what they know with other characters. But the only thing you need to think about before you enter on that stage, because you need to simplify it, is what do you, what do you want? What are you going to do? What do you mm. want from that actor that you're coming to on stage? Right? And if you know that, I think it's in, intrinsic human nature to, to go about tactics to achieve it. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, loosely, Stanislavski, uh, if you've heard of um, uh, Stanislavski, he developed the method, and everyone talks about the method and act, method acting and, and all that. Um, I don't necessarily buy into that as a sole way of, of acting, but I did take some very important points from it, and one of which is called uh, GOAT. I don't know if you've mm. heard of GOAT, Adam. Greatest uh, <clears throat> of all time? Huh? Yeah, <laughs> sort of spelled differently. Um, some can argue Stanislavski is the is the goat for goat, um, but goat spelled G O T E, uh, and that stands for goals, obstacles, tactics, and expectations. Um, when we're dissecting a character or we're trying to embody a character, we're always thinking about what their goals are. You know what their overall goal is, what their goal in this scene is what their goal, um, I don't know, in this act is. Um, and then once you determine what those are, and that's really, again, by answering, what does my character want, right? What is their goal? What do they want to happen? What's important to them? Um, and then you think about, okay, I know that. Now what's in my way? Okay, so if I'm thinking about Michael, my goal is to get Andrew's character, or Ezekiel, if you will, to understand the importance of this mission that I'm about to send him on. Mm. my obstacle is ezekiel is a new angel and probably doesn't know his ass uh his his butt from his his uh his <laughs> his i don't know knee right uh, a hole in the ground you might yeah, say the hole in the ground there you go <laughs> thanks <laughs> idioms um <clears throat> so that's so he is my obstacle so now that i have my goal i have my obstacle now i gotta think about what my tactic is to overcome those obstacles what am I going to do, right? Am I going to, um, and there's different ways you can approach this, okay? So so another scenario I can give is, let's say you're a teenager and you're going to go out to um, your friend's house, right? Your goal is to get the keys from your dad, right? The keys to the car. What's your obstacle? Your dad. Dad doesn't want to give you the car. Yeah, well, your dad. <laughs> your dad's the obstacle, right? 
He's the physical okay. obstacle. He has the keys. He's in the way from you getting the keys. So your tactics are going to depend on what you know about your dad, but also it's going to be, it's going to depend on the last letter E, which is expectation. What do you expect to happen? Right. Knowing that. So if I take the tactic of sugaring up my dad, right, I'm going to, I'm going to sugar him up. I'm going to, I'm going to make him feel good about himself. And you always want to take verbs when you think about tactics, right? You're always actively doing something. Um, <clears throat> now, if my expectation is that he's not going to give me the keys, then my tactics are going to um, kind of dictate how, mm. um, how I work around that. So, so sugaring him up is my tactic. Now I'm going to have to really sugar him up if he's not going to. If he's going to, then I just have to sugar him up a little bit. Right? <laughs> Dad, your hair looks great. Hey, thanks, son. Yeah, can I have the keys? Great. Okay. But if he doesn't, Dad, your, your hair looks great. What do you want? What do you want? Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right. Uh-huh. So now where are you going to go? And the interesting things with this goals, obstacles, tactics, expectations is it's ever changing. So the minute you take a tactic, Based upon the reaction, your obstacle may change or your tactic may have to change based upon how the expectation or that outcome has. Mm. Um, Now, that's a lot, right? That's a lot to try to think about. um, I actually thought it was really simple. I thought it was really helpful. Oh, well, that's good. good. I mean, it's really helpful to, to, to think about with NPCs just to, at the very least, think about goals, right? Right. And then obstacles, right? Um, But... Uh, but the, the key thing is first to figure out the goals and what they want because the obstacles, tactics, and expectations, and I always try to say is we're, we're natural at being human, right? If we stop thinking about it as though trying to project emotion and just mm-hmm. trying to do something, mm-hmm. right? Acting. So, so do we get lost when we overthink essentially? 100%. So acting is not acting. Acting is reacting. Mm-hmm. right so you're listening to your surroundings you're listening to the other characters and you are reacting to what they're doing you're not you're not trying to sway anything you just know what you want and your op- obstacles and tactics change based upon what's happening and then you adapt um it's tough at first because it it really takes an ability uh to let yourself go and that's hard for people. And again, like oh, I said, yeah. as a GM, you have to respect that. You have to give people the opportunity to do it, but you can't chastise them if they fail. If there's a particular player that um, is not, it's not easy for them to role play, you have to find opportunities, I think, for them to, to try it. But then you can, mm. like, no, no one can make them feel terrible if they're not great at it, mm. right? Because then they're never going to do it again. Right. Right, yeah, the knee, the knee jerk is going to be to resist, not to change. Right, um, you'll you'll create that sense of fear. Right, uh, I definitely see that with my students all the time. If I come down too hard on the wrong kid, it's shut down time. Yep, you know some kids do need a tough push, mm-hmm. but you really got to know who is open to that and who's ready for that because a lot of them are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say more often than not, it is a no go. It's a bad play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, uh, let's see. Um, so, so then, then, then Andrew's in with with Michael, 
um, and he 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 takes the 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 obstacle that um, Ezekiel is 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 new. He doesn't know anything. Um, so then his his tactic is going to be to speak to him like a little child, right? Really make him understand slow, very poignant words, nodding your head in agreement, and mm. making sure he understands where I'm going with this. Because if you don't, then you're done, mm. right? Because your expectation is is that he's going to go die, and you're going to see him in a little bit, staring <laughs> at his heart, which is what happens to angels when they die. Okay. Mm. Um. <clears throat> Uh, as far as character development goes, since we're sort of on that with, with goat, cause that's sort of where it comes from. Um, and this is some stuff that you can do, I think as pre setup with, with characters and GM, um, we like to think of stuff as like, if you get a script, the difference between role-playing games and theater is well, obviously other than the obvious that they're obviously different things, uh, is that, um, theaters have a pre-written written script usually. Right. Correct. Other than improv, there is there's material in front of you to go through and dissect. Mm. Um, and in that material, there are things we call givens. There are things that we know about our character based upon what the script says, and we know about what other characters think of us based upon the script says, and what we think of other other characters. Um, and going through that script and writing down all those givens, and I thought about how how do I do that in a role-playing game that does not have a pre-generated script. Right. Right. Um, but because you, you will develop givens as the game goes on, as you develop relationships. But when you start at, at session zero, yeah, and you got nothing. What do you do? Um, and that was always the toughest thing for me is to try to establish this idea of exposition without having to, let's just, you know, meet in a bar and, yeah, you guys are all going to be talked to by the same guy. So, um, luckily enough, uh, there's a system um, which you might be familiar with called the Fate system. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, and it developed from Fudge. But what I really love about it, besides the fact that uh, Evil Hat has made their core system available for free PDF download if you want, um, <clears throat> but because they'll they know you'll buy the book, which I did. Um, <laughs> But they have a character generation system that is based upon developing a backstory before you even get started. Mm. Um, and the way it works is you go through, I'm not going to go through the game mechanics, but the important things is there. there's three phases that you go through. And they suggest doing it with um, cue cards, or not cue cards, I'm sorry, um, three by five uh, index cards. recipe cards. Index cards, thank you. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so the first phase is essentially your character's first adventure. The first thing that they do. Um, and it doesn't have to be long. only has to be three sentences. Um, you know, uh, character A, uh, walking down the street and this guy attacked him and lost his sword, yada, 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 right? Just something small, something your first adventure. Then after everybody has that down, you take the, the index cards and you pass them out either randomly or to the right or whatever you want to do. Then that next person will write the next phase on your card that they're a minor character in your next little golden moment. Oh, that's neat. Then after that's done, you pass them around one more time, making sure you don't get yours or the, the one you just did. And then 
And then you're a minor character in the third golden moment in this character's story. And you write down what happens and how you interact with them. So then you get your cards back and you see how you relate to at least two other players in this group. Hmm. Um, That's uh, really fascinating. I like that. It was very cool. cool. And I I have used that background in so many games other than just Fate because it works to essentially develop the givens without actually having a script Hmm. right it creates what you think about other players what they think about you and things about yourself that just exist because of where you are i mean you can create your own givens real easily um but having that connection with other people and obviously it's not secret they can when they have your card they can have an idea and talk to you and you really should you shouldn't just decide what happens to this person and that's it Hmm. you really should have a conversation about it Um, sure because you want that person to be okay with it. Um, but it's a neat way to develop a backstory that is fairly organized, inconsistent. But now that most of the group knows each other, it's a lot easier to get them together. And then you take those cards, you look at them, digest them for a day and go, okay, well, here's how we start session one. Hmm. At the very least, that is worth a try. That is something I would like to do because definitely creating party cohesion Mm -hmm. has been a challenge for myself and i think for i think it's a challenge for a lot of gms yeah and that's not necessarily a a panacea but it it could be certainly a a, a good tool to have in the box yeah yeah it's like an icebreaker it it is it is like an icebreaker um Mm -hmm. and it's also it gives people um i guess uh they have I'm, I'm, again. I'm searching for a word here, um, but it's it gets you invested in that's it. Thank other you. that's the word in everyone else's. Well, not everyone else's, but at least two other characters at the table. Yeah. You get you played some part in their early moments, so now they have you become and kind of an anchor for at least two of these characters where there's those, those sort of touchstone moments where it's like, okay, you're not just randomly here with me. We had some shared experiences. We've gone through some things together. We've Mm -hmm. got a little bit of history. Yeah. Yeah. And how many times have you had a character or played a character where you sat back after a session or two thinking, why am I here? Why am I with these guys? Oh, yeah. Like, what's the uh, what's the point? Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I would be going along with them, man, because they're all murderers. No, never, never, never. That's <laughs> never happened to me. It certainly never happened to any of the games I've ran. Right. No. Sure, no, never. <laughs> um, no, I hate that feeling. It, and that is something that is very difficult to overcome, even if you give people some shared background sometimes the player motivation is so disjointed mm-hmm. that and then, but at that point you might consider well am i even playing with the right people right mm-hmm. right absolutely but it's it, it um, is and, it is on the flip side a a an amazingly easy situation to fall oh yeah, that's into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i've been part of games where i've gone through one two three characters because i just couldn't couldn't figure out how yeah. to invest and what was happening and it was my fault right because i was creating these characters 
that um, that I I didn't I didn't have a pre-generated investment in what was going on. I should have because I knew the story. It was part mm. of the game before, right? Mm. Um, now, if the the mental thing, if the goat, if the givens, if all that the mental stuff doesn't work for you, some other trick sometimes are to use um, uh, animals, right? So. So if you think about what type of character I am, well, I'm kind of like a bear, right? Or I'm, uh, I'm kind of like a, a a rabbit, right? And what what that does is, at least for role playing purposes, if you if you think of that and think about the 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 characteristics, um, so like if I say Andrew, if I say a, a rabbit, what what do you think of? Um, I guess physically or mentally for a rabbit, it that makes me think. Um, maybe a, neurotic maybe a little yep. bit chittery quick uh maybe rash movements um you know the erratic is a great word yeah right so so now when you're at the table you don't have to think about necessarily all of these adjectives that described your character yeah you, you just, just think, have to think be rabid animal yeah, that embodies that. And no one has to know what animal you picked because the animal right. isn't really important. It's just right. about understanding the physicality to it. That was the hardest thing when I was in, in England for a semester is, is is in my American schools, they focused on the mind and then moved out to the body. And then in England, they focused on the body and then moved back in towards the mind. Right? Huh. So they're all we're all rehearsing, like, let's get up and do this and physicalize this. I'm like, but I don't even know who I am yet. Like, right. <laughs> like no, no, we'll just figure it out. We got to get up. So Just start moving. Right. So so depending on on how you 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 um I guess process uh process things, uh whether you want to think physically first and then let that drive your character, or if you want to think mentally, both of those are working. And and the thing is you don't have to succeed hundred percent in any of this, right? Especially if you're fairly new. I think I think just using them as a tool, a guide, a, 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 just to play with it a little bit and see where it takes you and, and get more comfortable. Hmm. That's that's really the key. That is actually a brilliant tool. Yeah. That is so simple. And I was trying to use like Myers Briggs to build up some mm. NPCs. I'm I think I'm gonna go ahead and ditch that entirely <laughs> and I'm gonna do animals next there time. I think that, that is so smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's and it's yeah, you got to be careful, right? Because then some people go, "Well, wombat." Well, what the hell is a wombat? <laughs> what does that even I mean, mean you uh, jerk? Yeah, he, I mean, he's the same he, as the muskrat. He just has an Australian accent. Right? Well, there you go. See, and if you know what a wombat is, then that's fine. Like it makes sense to me. <laughs> All right. I mean, it's it really the the animals is uh, a slightly more simplified way of addressing um, sort of archetypes that are collectively understood by the group that you are playing within. That recognition. Right. Everyone says rabbit. I mean, mean, we all have an idea. Even in Winnie the Pooh, they all act like they're animals, right? Right. Like uh, Pooh is is indolent and gluttonous, mm. right? Like, like you would expect a bear to be, you know, and rabbit is you know, neurotic and, and, and paranoid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, owl is, is wise and, and elderly and patient. They all behave as, as you would expect. Right. Right. And, uh, that is, that's great. 
thank you. Yeah, no, hey, no, no problem. I'm happy to help. Um, another one. Give us another one. And I, I, I just want to, sure, sure. I want to let you guys know, um, we're getting close to the one hour mark, but I'm really enjoying this. Right. So I'm not going to cut this off until we just feel like we're done. So just keep going. This is well, really let's, terrific. Let's at most do another half hour at, at most. Yeah, I think um, totally fine. And call it there. I think I can, I can limit it to that. Um, okay. So uh, from a, from a GM standpoint, um, some, some things that, I mean, you guys, I think at one point you guys had talked sort of about uh, plot structure. Uh, oh yeah. And how that can help you. Um, you know, so I, you know, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about that. Some, some things that's sort of important though, for scenes and adding things um, is, is whatever I'm directing or I'm working with actors. Uh, when a new, when a new character comes into the scene, I always tell them that, your job isn't to come into the energy that's on stage. Your job is to bring new energy. So mm. from a DM standpoint or a GM standpoint, if you're bringing in a new character and that character is, 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 is adapting to the energy that's, that's happening in there, it's not going to be as um, impactful, right? They're not going to what, what we call steel focus. It might even um, feel but, fabricated. Right. But if you bring new energy to whatever's happening, if you bring the energy in as an NPC or even as a character entering a scene, um, that then develops that scene more. Right? It makes it more interesting. It heightens uh, um, uh, heightens what's happening, and you essentially steal focus because you have contrast, which is, which is not a bad thing in certain situations. Yeah. Um, so knowing that when you bring in new NPCs, just understanding again, if you want to think about them as animals, if you want to think about them as goals, whatever you want, you just know you're entering the scene to get something, to do something. Right. right? Um, that makes your character or your NPC more, uh, important. Why am I here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. The golden moment. Um, as we all know, conflict drives plot. Without conflict, we don't have a plot. Um, you're not going to have a show with two brothers that sit there and they agree <laughs> all the time for an hour and a half. That's boring. I think that right? was you're a gonna family have, guy bit. Wow. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have the odd couple, right? That's what you're gonna have. You're gonna have people that 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 butt heads that conflict. Um, and some of that's really difficult when uh, you're GM and you've created this story and then you have characters that are creating conflict. Um, I always, now most of the time, I should say, I'd like to let that go. If it's players creating conflict, that's different. But if it's the characters creating conflict and it's justifiable conflict, um, one, it makes the story interesting. Two, it gives you fodder to be able to use later on for your story development. Um and uh and and three it's memorable mm. um so depending on the conflict i wouldn't necessarily shy from it unless of course like i said it's player by player and player conflict as we all know that's not a, a good thing because no. that means there's something else going on um and the worst is when player player conflict influences character character conflict yeah that drives me nuts yeah um, i still haven't figured out a way around that <laughs> oh yeah and how to deal with that 
other than making them feel like students. And that's not going to get you invited back to run games. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to tell you a little story of my theater teacher in college. I'm not going to say his name is not to embarrass him. Uh, but we were talking about plot. And obviously, you know that there is, um, uh, there is a, an inciting incident. Uh, there is a rise or a rise in action, then there is a climax, and then there is a fall in action or a return, and then I have a catastrophe or resolution, right? That's the basic five-act structure. Um, but what he said was so memorable to me because he said, uh, he said he's getting all into it. He's like, plot, you know, it's up, down, it's climax, but, you know, you, it's, like, it's like sex, right? You can't just stick it in and wait for something to happen. You have to back it out and in and out and in and out. And finally, there's an explosion. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and what he was trying to allude to was the fact that that climax doesn't just happen. You don't just have a rise of action and then a climax. You have little mini climaxes on that rising action before you get there. And so when you're developing these story, trying to find little heights that they hit little, little climaxes that they hit that don't completely, um, com uh, uh, I guess, create a fall in action or a return, mm. but just a minor one before they can get back on track. Right. So I don't like to think of the plot structure as just an up down triangle. I like to think of it as sort of like one side of a mountain up, down, up, down, up, down, as we progress further up. Mm. And then on the other side, it sort of drops down, um, at a low slope. But then what's important, and I hope everyone can visualize this, is then at the right side, you have a um, sort of a catastrophe or resolution line that's higher than the inciting incident is. Because huh. you're not coming back down to where you are. You're, you're coming back down, but your story has developed, so you're higher up than you were before. Oh. Make sense? So, so there's a new you're kind of assuming that you will be progressing on from there to a new plot, assuming there's an ongoing campaign, you've kind of established a new baseline where absolutely sea level has risen, you know, yeah. in a, some kind of way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to think of it too, is the incoming tide, right? The tide doesn't just, come in and it's there comes in and out and in and out and eventually it progresses further enough to where it's all the way in mm. right all right so yeah a, a very colorful and memorable way to think about <laughs> rising and and falling right, action I, I hope i haven't ruined your 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 podcast rating uh no uh that's <laughs> that i think we're i think we're okay but uh, <laughs> no I, th yeah. I just think it's very useful and and it's uh it, i have to admit my mind went immediately to monty python where uh john cleese is teaching his class <laughs> yeah. um right He's like, yeah. shit, sir, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So here we are in our first year in college, and we're talking about dramatic structure. And our, uh, you know, a, a professor who I who I grew to love, and it became a mentor and a really close friend of mine. Yeah. Drops that. <laughs> Never will I ever forget plot and structure ever again. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. now, now you got to be careful, as I found out, 
on how you incorporate that lesson into <laughs> drama classes in high school. Yes. Oh, yes. boy. Uh, know your yeah. class first mm-hmm. and, and maybe tone it down a bit. But, right. We could talk about hills or tides yeah. or um, roller coasters, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, never, yeah. never forgettable. Um, yeah. So the the other big thing when i'm developing a game is this idea of and we talk about this as far as theatrical design too uh is the unity of concept um and and they talk about it in the beginning of a lot of role playing books and um in in core books uh about what type of game is your game going to be mm. are you going to are you going to have a game that's sort of light and and happier are you going to have a game that's really dark what type of game are you going to be but how do you define that um in you know just writing it down it doesn't really doesn't really express i think necessarily the 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 or encapsulate the breadth of what that game is going to be if you just mm-hmm. write down a description i mean maybe yeah maybe you're the new shakespeare and you can do it but uh, a few techniques that, that that i've used to sort of help show what the game is going to be like is is um and we do this for for costume design for set design uh, lighting design even uh, is first uh, creating sort of a color palette, right? Mm. Um, and now you don't nece- you don't do that with like Microsoft Paint, right? That that sure they're all grace, great. What does that mean? Um, but we create sort of like it's it's called a mood board. Yeah, have a mood board. Mm-hmm. You probably have because or a you, you vision board. A yeah. vision board. Yep. Yep. Um, and essentially, you just pull images or things that sort of connect with the type of feel color sense that your game's going to be and just throw them onto one page kind of helps so people recalibrate a, your mind if you get distracted or helps right. kind of put you put your head right back in in the place you intend it to be right and yeah. we can do that with we i mean you can do it as in simplest form where you you cut things out or copy paste them onto a sheet of paper. You can also use um, films as example and TV shows example. The, the the pratfall with those are is if I say we're gonna we're gonna run a, uh, a I don't know a, a space opera sort of thing and it's gonna be akin to uh, Firefly, mm. right? Well, now everybody that's that's what's in their mind is Firefly, so they're gonna attack right. it because like, everybody that loves Firefly loves Firefly. And they're going to attack it like that when that's not really all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's finding that 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 description or that the, that images or boards that are general enough to give an idea, but not so specific that it gears them down a specific road and pigeonholes them. Mm. Um, so using those things to find out what inspires your story um, and uh, inspires your your your, your plots. And that can also help you as a GM to direct you and in, in what type of plots you pick, because the worst thing is to have this really great dark and developing story. And then if there's really no reason at all, other than you want to be goofy and fun is throwing a, a I don't know, a space clown in there. Mm. Well, why are you doing that? You just, you've just destroyed everything that you worked so hard to build because mm. you wanted to be goofy for a moment. Well, that's, that's fine if it fits. But be very careful, I think, about throwing those in. 
I do uh, find there's this like very useful period going into a session of sort of meditation. And, and for me, music plays a huge role in that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, especially since I have a long commute. So sometimes I finish work and I drive home and the moment I get home, I have to jump on the mic and, and start running. And, uh, music certainly helps a lot to sort of get my mind in the correct set. Cause Mm -hmm. you're right. It's so easy to, to catch on onto a whim that may seem clever in the moment, but is tonally dissonant. Right. Absolutely. And that's, um, uh, I mean, that's an incredibly, uh, useful way to, to bring players in. If you don't, if you don't have an ability to, to do a mood board or a vision board or, or, um, give visuals, uh, creating playlists help really well. I know I've created a lot of playlists, even for characters, because I would have sessions or games where I'd have to drive 45 minutes and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta be in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. We were playing this really cool version of 5e D&D that was modernized and set in the West. Um, I mean, Ooh. all the magic characters still existed and all the classes and all the races. It was just as if that continued on through history and eventually got to a Western period. Wow. Um, and I'm like, I gotta, how do I get into this, this mode? And so I created this playlist for me to listen to on my way there. What and was on I the think, playlist? <laughs> oh man, hang on. I can pull it up. Cause um, yeah, I'll try it. to pull up as I keep talking, but cause um, we're playing a game I, right now. The one uh-huh. that Adam's running it's, and it's a five E game and it is kind of frontier themed. Oh, sure. So this yeah. is like right up that alley, man. Yeah. All right. So the character's name was Quentin Calhoun. Perfect. Oh, that's by, terrific. By Quint for short. And his backstory was that he, um, so in this setting, the, the mixed races were the slaves, right? Um, and so he was, he was of mixed race. He was a half elf and his family, he was in, he was a house, house slave, but they didn't want to make it real obvious that he had strong elf ancestry. So they docked his ears. Um, and he went by Quint for short because he was the fifth of, of his brood, if you will. Mm. Um, now, by this point in history, all the slaves have been freed. Like, we're not going to deal with that necessarily. Um, but I needed to find something that was kind of dark and brooding. and But at the same time, um, I don't know, at, at times kind of, 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 of longing because he, he didn't get the upbringing that, that his sort of forced sister because he got really good friends with um, another player character who was this the daughter of of the uh, plantation master um so i've got uh, a, fu- a few kaleo songs i got broken bones no good save yourself broken bones was the one that really got me in there and i don't know if you've heard it but i i love it um so broken bones by kaleo uh dirt in my pockets the man comes around by johnny cash right right uh ain't no easy way by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. I got a few from there. Um, so the, these are a lot more contemporary than I was expecting. Yeah, so you were you were doing the emotional tone as absolutely. opposed to his background music, <laughs> like right. in, a, so in the game. Yeah, because they've got they've got sort of a, a bit of a I don't know a, a Western twenty. I guess part of the the TV show that helped me understand it too was Hell on Wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good sure. show. Um, and and that has. Uh, a lot of modern music, but it doesn't not fit with 
with the the concept of the show. Yeah, it definitely works. And so that's that's the thing that I mean. So that's what I mean also by unity of concept is is it doesn't necessarily like you you run a western game. It doesn't all have to like the music doesn't have to be eighteen hundreds music. If if the the if the if it invokes the type of of environment that you're trying to create, at least for your mind space. Mm. Um, so that stuff just helped me get into sort of his mindset. But, but some of the songs like broken bones is like a, it starts out as a slave song, but then sort of develops in something more. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I'll have to check <clears throat> that out. So I don't know what else I got here, man. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, if, if that's it, we could probably we could probably call it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's totally fine. <laughs> I, mean, I could. I do. You, is there? I mean, is there anything that that uh, I guess um, interests you about uh, the combination between theater and role playing, and 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 how how maybe struggles that you've seen or or felt that that you wonder if there's techniques or ideas that can be used to overcome those or things that players have talked about? I think for me. The, um something that i that i struggle with is is i guess i guess focus um mm. just just with especially given that a lot of our games now especially mine i mean i can't remember the last time i had an in person game um but we also don't use video and mm. and i and i know um nathan we were talking uh uh off air before and you had mentioned that in games that you play when you play online uh if a group isn't also using video to give you that kind of visual element if it's just over voice and you can't see the other players it makes it so hard for you to focus and um keeping uh, what happens to me sometimes is that uh with other characters i have the one i'm playing in adam's game thankfully i've solidified really well so it's a bit easier with him but i've had a lot of other characters where it's it becomes very easy for me to fall back into being Andrew and mm. fall out of being my character. And, and I, I wish I had some, some, some ways to keep myself in the character and yeah. to, to be able to kind of embrace characteristics that are different from my own and feel like I am still like I'm actually being truthful and uh and accurate to those things even though they're different yeah. from how I am and I'm you know might have you know I'm not that way so I'm not used to being that way but I want to still try to portray those things Right. Um, well, there's a couple things um, I can mention about that. Um, there's a couple points I want to hit. Uh, the first one you mentioned: how do I how do I maintain focus and be in in character? Um, not only just in a dig digital setting, 
audio but also video or even in an in-person game Mm. um how do you maintain that or if it's okay to kind of go in and out as it should be because to do that for four hours is is painful yeah um but how how do you click back um so when we do when we do dialects uh different dialects irish english whatever um what we're always kind of trying to figure out is is a is a trigger Right. So it's usually like a little phrase or a short phrase. Mm-hmm. We know that we're going to hit with that dialect no matter what. We've just trained ourselves so well. So with Irish, it's going to be Jesus, Mary, and Joseph for me. <laughs> if I say that, I can quickly go into Irish and it's not going to be a big deal. So what I mean by that is when you're trying to think about staying in character, um, try to give yourself a certain trigger that's always going to be the same, whether it's like a phrase uh, that you know that really connects with the character or maybe a little bit of a song that you can quick throw in your ear if you need to or something that you've read, have that page with you or a picture or an image. Yeah. I think I heard you, Adam, say in one of the episodes that when you're trying to get into character as a GM that you you have an image of that character yep. that you, you run right in front of you so you know what you're trying to invoke. And that's that's an exact parallel to just having the little phrase trigger for a dialect. It's something to keep you sort of honest and trick you back into what you need to be. So even as a player, I think that's helpful, either to have a picture of your character or a picture similar to them or something to that will allow you to kind of get back in. It's it. kind of the same um, principle as as the mood board. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all these things you're doing as a GM to help develop a story, an idea, and a plot, and, and a setting, and a mood, there's no reason why that can't also be done by a player if mm. the player wants to, obviously. But, sure. And it doesn't need to be for the GM, but really for them, it, it helps them feel more confident. Again, just like an actor, these are all just tools to put in a toolbox. You don't have to use all of them or any of them. It's mm. just something there for you to rely on. Um, the second point I want to bring out is sort of connecting where you said that sometimes the characters are not like you at all. Um, and then I remember, uh, Adam said in in a, in a, it might've been the same episode. Um, oh no, no, my mind's lost me. Oh shoot. Um, anyway, um, so, so don't be afraid to be okay with you being in that character. So hmm. the worst role I've ever had to play was, was in a play called Machinal. Um, and it's a, I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. Um, it's, it's lesser known, but it takes place in the 1920s and the whole, and, and I had to play this character that was really just not, not a good guy, right? He just really wasn't. And he took advantage of his wife and even to some degree might have, um, uh, um, uh, sexually assaulted her and whatnot. And, and like, oh. how do you, how do you be okay with that? If that's not who you are, right. Right. But sometimes, but you have to play this on stage. And the hardest thing is to then try to find justifications hmm. for what you're doing with the current world or knowledge that you have about yourself. And that's hard. Yeah. It takes a lot of risk. And takes a lot of letting go. Um, now, with role playing, chances are that you're not going to decide to play a character like that, or at least I hope you don't, because then you then there's then there's maybe some other issues that you're trying to work through. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But 
even if you are not a natural thief in your real life and you're going to play a thief or you're going to play, um, you know, a really bombastic, loud, in-your-face type of character, what would it take for Andrew to be that? What hmm. would it be like if Andrew was that? Don't be afraid to let yourself be in that character a little bit. It's going to allow you to connect hmm. with them a little bit more. It's going to make them more real. Because now while you're doing that, you're not just thinking about adding yourself in, but you're also coming up with justifications for why they're doing what they're doing, which they would have already figured out in the first place. Yeah. So kind of ask yourself, instead of going, who is this character? You can more approach it like, what if I was that character? Yeah. Under these givens yeah. that I have as a character, these histories, if that was me in this situation, right? Huh. How would I do this? How would I do this? If my goals were this, how would I do this? And sometimes you have to trick your brain a little bit to not be you and not have your core values, but it's just for a game. Yeah. Right? Um, that's a tough thing to do. It's a tall order. Uh, but when you reach those moments, and this is going to be talking about the craft and the art a little bit, when you when you reach those moments where you've completely let go mm. and you're no longer yourself on stage, I mean, you are, but you sort of, I guess, embodied what this it is. It just kind of starts a, flowing on its own. It is a transcendable moment. It is Ooh. really powerful because you're there, you're present, you're listening. Um, it's tough. Another small trick if you're trying to get back in the game uh, and you have video or you're in a place, look into someone's eyes. That's why I tell people on stage if they mm. feel like they're, they're in their head, uh, listen to someone directly in character like look in their eyes and listen to them actively listen to them it's hard to jump back out of character when you're doing that yeah yeah so that's i don't know if that helps you um, no that's it's a lot it definitely does man it's a lot you have to be careful though because you never want to do this at at at, at the other players um detriment sure then right then the game's about you it absolutely be about you right you can also get like into a, a mindset where you become sort of because you, you you talk about trying to justify their their actions and especially if you're playing the villain NPC, mm-hmm. you know it it can be easy to get argumentative with the players mm-hmm. if you're starting to sort of buy it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you have to remember, okay, but I have to maintain pacing and I need to move on to right. uh, the players need to win uh, in this moment as well. That's important. Right. Um, See, and that's, so, you don't have to be right. You just have to be justified. Right. right. That's so, a good distinction. Hmm. Like my second favorite play, <laughs> which uh, is Othello and Iago, I think, is one of the greatest villains oh, yeah. in, in, in English literature. Fantastic. Um, he's so evil. Like, he is incredibly evil. But he doesn't think he's evil. Mm. Yeah, good villains he, don't typically think they are. No, he thinks he's completely justified in what he's doing. So even if you're playing a person that you don't necessarily like, Andrew, mm. that person still thinks they're just a perfect person. Right. And that that is something that I've... Um that you definitely hear like no no villain thinks they're the villain you know everybody's the hero of their own story right right yeah because then then you're getting into camp right then you're getting into um 
The mustache twirling. Uh Yeah, yeah. I am here to do evil. (laughs) And and that was the big push with melodrama is that they created really definitive lines between the between who the villains are and who the heroes are. Um, And and if that's the type of game you're going to, though, that's perfectly fine. Again, that's about establishing uh, mood and and unification of concept. Mm. Yeah, I think it's better to to justify that the villain has hired his little snidely whiplash to, you know, be a mini boss and to ultimately be expendable. Right. Um, that makes a lot more sense. Like I, I needed to hire this guy to do a bad thing and that he died. Doesn't bother me Mm. because I knew he was a terrible person. Yeah. Um, again, justifications. Because those yeah. are the ones like, like the, as a player, when you run into a villain that you know is terrible, you're like, yeah, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, that, look at the MCU, right? Thanos. Like the worst villain is like Malekith, you know, it, like people don't even remember him. He was just like, I'm a dark elf and I want it to be dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you then, know, <laughs> versus Thanos or Killmonger. Right. Because then as a player, what does that create in you? but rather conflict about how you feel about it. And as we all know, conflict drives plot. So even within your own character arc and story, if you have internal conflict, that drives your own advancement. Hmm. Yeah, it was important to see Thanos be sad about things, to to feel regret. And it was a little jarring in Endgame when he kind of backslides a little. But uh, other than that, it's, uh, you know, he's definitely... on the one hand, a completely different character from Jim Starlin's Thanos, uh, but on the other hand, a very interesting villain. And I'm not sure how well uh, I want death to make my girlfriend would have translated to screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, um, so anyway, uh, I think at this point we, we should wrap this up. Yeah. Oh sure. man. And, but I have to say that these have been some, some great, little tools, little nuggets to use. Um, there is certainly a ton of overlap between theater and, um, and, and tabletop role playing games. Absolutely. In fact, a lot of people that play these games tend to be theater people. Yeah. Um, or at least to have had some background. In. Did you do theater in high school, Andrew? I, I didn't honestly, <laughs> I, the the idea of being on stage or performing in in that way freaking terrifies me it's not up my alley yeah, i guess i could see that i could see that yeah um yeah i mean i would always recommend to anyone regardless of their profession if they have opportunities to take a public speaking class or an acting class or improv class or any of those um to do it not for the purpose of becoming better at that craft necessarily but just to become more confident in, in yourself that's true right i i have gotten to the point now where i can where i can speak in front of people and um i know in middle school and college now i think about it i had speech classes and uh so i confidence that way it doesn't really wig me out near as much um but it's more like um, having a pre-scripted performance and potentially messing things up, like forgetting lines or 
things like that. If I just have to go up and tell people about something, that's less concerning to me. But actually, like, performing is um, a bit more intimidating. It's a a terrifying but magical moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Well let's uh let, let's take you away thanks so much for coming on oh, the show yes. and talking to us nate it's been great it's been good to finally meet the legend himself <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i i call myself that um but um but it's really been uh, a pleasure to be on uh, i really appreciate it um i had a lot of fun uh thank you for letting me take up as much time as i did oh um totally but uh i, I hope I hope some of the things I shared help in some way. And if they do great. And if they don't, they're not my ideas. Um, Um, yeah. Uh, this is, this has actually been great because it's, it's also developed, uh, reinforced my, my love for both role-playing games and my love for, for theater as an art form. Um, and that my friends is the secret ingredient. It is, it is. And, uh, Nate, I also want to say thank you for coming on, man. It's it's so good to spend some time with you, and I know that um, <laughs> that time has gotten away from us, and you're back in Wisconsin. I'm out here in California, and um, you know times have changed, but you know it just yeah. With, with the digital world, we're not going anywhere right now. Uh, so it's it, easy. It feels <laughs> it feels so good, and um, I. I, no more excuses, Andrew. No more excuses, <laughs> and I uh, I do want to say thank you for coming on. This was an absolute blast, and we uh, would love to have you back to talk about things that maybe have nothing to do with your background, but might still be super fun to talk about. Well, I would be happy to to come back if that if that's the case. Absolutely, man. Well, with that being said. Uh, we also want to say thank you to our loyal patrons, both Spike and Logan. Thank you guys as much as ever. Uh, we really appreciate your support and uh, just being as big of fans as you guys are. Um, and if uh, any of you other listeners would like to get your name on the show, or support us with a little bit of money, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point, and you can support us at the $5 level or the $100 level. The only difference being that if you back at the $100 level, Adam here will run a custom game that you will be in, and it will be awesome and so full of the secret ingredient. You don't know what to do with your, with, uh, with yourself. So, and now NPCs that are secretly named after animals, Boom. But please continue. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, and, uh, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you found us. And if this is your first time listening, be sure to download and check out our other episodes. You should be able to find us on most major podcast platforms including iTunes and Spotify. And if you listen via iTunes or other uh, platforms that allow you to review the podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think. We really appreciate any comments 
And uh, seeing that kind of interaction really, really helps us out. And uh, also, it just makes us feel super good. Um, (laughs) You can also find our website at inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirationpointpodcast. And we're on Twitter at IPRPGcast. So... We hope that this has been enlightening for all of you. And uh, once again, Nate, thank you for coming on. And with that, we will bid you all happy holidays. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye. Bye.